Hello, I'm Peter Kessler, and you're listening to Reading the Break. Here's a little Q&A that I did with Tom Weiskopf not too long ago. Tom won 16 times on tour, including one major, the Open Championship in 1973 at Troon. He was one of the best ball strikers of his era, but because he always got in his own way, instead of winning 45 tournaments and five majors, he won 16 times with one major. I asked him when golf first cast its spell on him, and he said, My dad took me to the U.S. Open at Inverness in 1957 when I was 15. One guy stood out from the others. He was so fit and rhythmical and uncomplicated compared to the other guys. Effortless power. It was Sam Sneed. That's who I emulated. That's how I thought the game should be played. And I said, Ben Hogan also made an indelible early impression, did he not? And Tom said, I went with a friend in 1960 to see the U.S. Open at Cherry Hills. No offense to Arnold Palmer, but Hogan should have won that Open. He was playing with 20-year-old Jack Nicklaus and had 34 greens in a row during the double round, the last day before he was forced to gamble on the 35th hole. If I could have putted for Hogan, Arnold wouldn't have won. And I said, but didn't Jack, who finished second behind Arnold, have as good a chance to win as Hogan? And he said, they had equal chances to win, but Hogan putted badly all day, and Jack putted poorly over the last nine holes. That was the last time Jack didn't putt great when it mattered. It was 1960, and Jack was still in school at Ohio State, but he was already the best player in the world. And I said, what did you base that on? And he said, well, we had played that spring at the Scarlet Course at Ohio State, but that was casual and not revealing. When I saw him at the Open, it was the real Nicholas. It registered that this was the player who was going to dominate the sport. How could anybody beat him? He had power, control, great tactical skills, and a maturity that was unbelievable. So I said, well, when did the rest of the world find out that Jack was the game's best player? And he said, in the 18-hole playoff for the 1962 U.S. Open against Arnold at Oakmont, it was all over by the end of the first hole, and everyone watching knew it too. I asked him to describe the scene on the first tee of the playoff, and he said, well, Arnold was introduced and all the cheers and everything and people were going crazy, and Jack is introduced and Arnold smashed his first drive. Beautiful, great driver of the ball, one of the best ever, my hero. I mean, I love the guy. No one has ever treated people any better or had more of an impact on people than Arnold Palmer. Now it's Jack's turn and the cheers turned to jeers and snide remarks. Didn't phase Jack at all. He just launched this drive. I walked it off. 28 paces past Arnold on the fly, 34 yards with roll. I asked him how Arnold reacted, and he said, Arnold walked over the top of that first hill at Oakmont, and he saw that drive, and I knew then that Jack had his number just by the look on Arnold's face. Surprised, his head went up, a double take almost. I'll never forget that image. The game was over right there. And I said, but Arnold was composed enough to hit a beautiful approach. And Tom said, well, yes, he did, but Nicholas's second shot was shorter and better. Arnold never came close to him off the tee, 
and Jack hit his three-wood past Arnold's driver all day. I knew then it was going to be a long couple of decades for all of us. And I said, and so it was. And he said, I've had that feeling. You, you can't hit it any better, and you know the long drive is your ball, and it isn't. That's intimidation. That's what Jack had on all of us. It's the look he gave you on the first tee of the last round of a major that said, you better play your fanny off if you think you're going to beat me. I asked Tom when he stopped loving golf, and he surprised me when he said, after my second year at Ohio State, at exactly the time I decided to quit school and turn pro. I couldn't stand being asked why I didn't have Nicholas's discipline and patience and course management skills. I couldn't stand any shot that I struck that felt short of perfection. I couldn't forgive myself for mistakes, and I continued to feel the same way until I quit the tour when I was 40. And I asked him why, and he said, well, I had wonderful parents, but I never had any direction. I never had a deep or close relationship with my father. He was a very shy guy, a very religious guy. I was an altar boy until I was a freshman at Ohio State, but once I left home, I found out about drinking, partying, and girls. I asked him about a match that he had with Lee Trevino in the 36-hole final at the Piccadilly World Match Play Championship at Wentworth, England in 1972. I wondered if there was any gamesmanship that day. I heard there was. And he said, well, Lee had played Tony Jacklin the day before, and they were a zillion under par. And as we stood on the first tee, Lee was spouting off, telling me how tired he was and how draining the match was and how the food was no good. The whole woe was me deal just on and on. And I said, you know what, Lee? It was an exciting match. Good luck. Play well. And don't try to talk to me anymore. I threw it right back in his face. He tried to catch up to me. Well, he can't walk as fast as I do. I just outwalked him the first two or three holes, and he knew I was serious. I wanted to wax him because he was the man then. He was at the top of the game. Then he got pretty tight-lipped. I got to him, and I beat him. He and Tommy Bolt and Sam Snead are just behind Hogan in my vote for best ball striker. Trevino was the best ball striker of my era an era with perhaps the largest number of great players. I asked him what he learned from Tommy Bolt when he went to see him when he was in his early 20s, and he said, so many things. One, I learned to shorten my backswing and quiet my hands. Then he taught me how to hit a high, soft cut, and he taught me about tempo. He encouraged me to hit pitching wedge instead of sand wedge from 80 to 95 yards. Taught me how to dress, too, just by watching him. Two colors are easy, but he had three or four colors. It could have been two colors in his shoes, but those colors would spin off everything else. He could contrast three colors and make it blend. Tommy's fantastic. I asked him why he decided to quit the PGA Tour at 40. He said, well, I had at least five more good years left. There were only a few guys who won more tournaments than I did in my time. Jack, Arnold, Casper, Trevino... Miller, Player, Watson. I had just eliminated the flawed position of my club at the top when I quit. I shouldn't have quit, but I'm glad I did. I couldn't stand the frustration of leaving on Sunday, 
knowing I'd finished 30th when the course was right there for me to finish in the top five. I couldn't deal with my mediocrity, which is part of the self-control issue. I was easily distracted. I said to him, how big a problem was your drinking? And he said, I hit the ball so good from the age of 35 to 40, but my nerves were not good because of the drinking. Then I got on guilt trips about what I didn't accomplish, and that got very emotional. I didn't quit drinking until the year 2000. I didn't drink every day. I could go months without drinking, but when I did it, Peter, there wasn't enough to drink. I felt so bad the next day I was just punishing myself. Every really stupid decision I made can be attributed to drinking. I was on the edge, self-destructive, out of control. I got very melancholy, just like my dad. For reading the break, I'm Peter Kessler.